1: Two pitch. Swing Deep left.
0: Way hey everybody, welcome to another Baseball America podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer, here to break down the Arizona Diamondbacks system today. And to help me, we're joined by Nick Picoro, the Diamondbacks beat writer for the Arizona Republic and a fellow Arizona State alum. Nick, thanks for joining us today.
2: My pleasure, Kyle. Thanks for having me.
0: The Diamondbacks are one of the more interesting teams, at least to me, in the major leagues right now. They had their third straight winning season last year, contended surprisingly for a lot of people after trading Paul Goldschmidt before the year, as well as Zach Granke during the year. They are kind of straddling a really interesting line where they are both winning games at the major league level and building up there, but they're also building up the farm system. They had a bevy of first day picks last year. They've already used one of those in a key trade this offseason. We saw them go out and sign Madison Bumgarner. This week they traded for Starling Marte. They also signed Cole Calhoun, which I thought was a nice under the radar signing this offseason as well. So they're building up while also enhancing their farm system. A lot of teams kind of have to choose one or the other. When you look at the Diamondbacks right now and just what Mike Hazen is building and how they seem to be improving in both areas, how do you kind of assess where they are as a franchise right now?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think you gave a pretty good synopsis there. I mean, they're, they're kind of towing that line. Uh, you know, in 2017, uh, they wound up making the postseason, getting a wild card, winning the wild card game. Um, and that's so far been the only time they've actually been able to cash it in uh, under Hazen's watch uh, to, to actually reaching the playoffs. Um, you're right, they've, they've played meaningful games into September each of the previous two years, which uh, certainly last year was probably more than most people expected. Um, and as we've seen, I mean, when, when Hazen took over, it was, it was probably a bottom five farm system in, in baseball. It's quickly moving into the, you know, probably the upper third at least, uh, higher for some people. Um, and, yeah, and, you know, you, you mentioned the, the trade for Starling Marte, giving up a couple of prospects there. They made a deal at the deadline in July where they traded Jazz Chisholm for another prospect-ish type player in Zach Gallen, who had technically already reached the majors, um, but probably was still qualifying as a rookie at the time. Um, So you've seen him dip into his prospect inventory a little bit now uh, to to make moves that are helping the big league roster. you know, and I think we're just gonna have to see how this pays off over the the next few years. Um, you know whether they end up regretting moving any of those guys, whether those moves that they've made uh, you know allow them to reach the playoffs again uh, before we're able to kind of really assess um, you know how how just how good of a job they've done.
0: One of the things that's jumped out to me about the moves Mike Hazen has made and what has allowed them to toe this line is a lot of the trades he's made, he's acquired upper level prospects or young big leaguers as opposed to guys who are super far away. Paul Goldschmidt trade, getting Luke Weaver, who was in the majors, but still young and had some room to grow. Carson Kelly, who had received a taste of the majors. Andy Young, who was in the upper levels and the minors. The Zach Granke trade even, getting Corbin Martin, who had touched the majors. Getting Seth Beer, who had already advanced to double A. I think he's done a really nice job of not gambling so much on these super far away, overly young guys in trades who in reality have a very low hit rate. He's getting guys who are talented players who can help the major league team within one or two years. Then using the draft and the international signings to kind of backfill the back end of the farm system, and to me, all of a sudden, you have this really balanced organization of young top-level talent as well as talent throughout the system.
2: Yeah, I think you're right. I, I think it's kind of a, a matter of making uh, you know small bets uh, with with each decision, right? Um, I, I think that when when you're talking about acquiring guys that have already reached the majors, um, there's just less risk involved. Uh, you know, there's no guarantees, of course, that Carson Kelly <clears throat> or Luke Weaver were going to, you know, be successful big leaguers. Um, but there's certainly a better chance that they are than guys that are less accomplished further down. Uh, I, I think too, when you look at the the Zach Gallon for Jazzism trade. Uh, it's another example of, of getting a guy who's already in the big leagues, already shown he can have some success in the big leagues and trading away a guy who's has a lot of questions about him. Now, look, uh, jazz Chism could become a superstar. I don't think there are, uh, you know, anybody that would, that would question the, the tools and the athleticism and, and, you know, just the potential for that. Uh, but the odds of it happening, um, maybe aren't as good, uh, so, and I, I, I think, uh, I, I, think you even saw it a little bit in that trade with the, with the pirates. Um, you know, I, you're, you're obviously getting the, the, the point of that trade is to acquire a, a piece for now, but the guys that they traded away, look, Leo Pagero has real upside. Um, and there's a lot of people that were very high on him and, and people that thought that, uh, you know, we had him a little low on our top 10. Um, other organizations that liked him even better than perdomo That I don't know that that's necessarily the the consensus opinion, but people really like Bagaro. But you know we're talking about a, a lower level infielder that likes to swing, um, and that's a risky uh, you know type of demographic. Uh, even riskier demographic is Brendan Malone, the high school right hander. Um, so I mean I think that they've made a lot of. Decisions where they've kind of said like, look, let's just kind of play the percentages a little bit here, uh, and and let's let's look. We're not going to go get players we don't like, but you know, if it's a choice between you know the more advanced, uh, the safer demographic, I, I think they're gonna they're gonna lean that way every time.
0: And, and I think one of the things too, a lot of people say it's either upside or risk and in reality we've seen the diamondbacks get guys who have both again carson kelly top 100 prospect for a number of years potential all-star catcher he showed some promise in his debut last year There's plenty of upside there as well as limited risk. You know, Luke Weaver, again, was a first-round pick, top 100 prospect, needed some development. But again, it's not like these guys are bit players. These are all guys who had pedigree, who have shown what they can do at the upper levels. Uh, Zach Galen, again, was a third-round pick who had climbed into the top 100 with the Marlins last year before they acquired him in the trade. So it seems like they've done a nice job acquiring legitimate upside without enormous risk as a result the Diamondbacks were in a good place I do want to start with this farm system there's an interesting debate at the top with Dalton Varsho at number one you also have guys like Geraldo Perdomo and Christian Robinson and Alec Thomas who was their number one prospect at midseason last year it's a really interesting group of guys who are all good they're all in the top 100 but none of them are in the top 50 how did you kind of sort this group out again they're all very good but they're all pretty close as well
2: yeah, it was tough, um, especially when you start looking at tools and you start grading things out. Uh, particularly when it comes to Christian Robinson and and wondering just what the the future upside could be there, and trying to weigh that against um, you know just just how unproven he is. Um, I, I think that it just came down with with Bar Show for me. Uh, in that, this is a guy that that plays a premium position. Um, I know that there still seems to be some. Questions about how much he's gonna catch, or 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 just how well he's going to catch the the people I spoke to look internally they're they're pretty confident, Uh, and I talked to I don't know half dozen scouts with other clubs that didn't see any reason to think that this guy couldn't catch at the big league level. Um, and then you combine that with the fact that uh, you know he's a premium athlete. Um, he's hit at every level. Uh, I think if you take away, uh, well, I, I think he has a three. I'll bring it up right now. I'm pretty sure he has a 300 career batting average and an OPS of 879 in three minor league seasons. And I think that if you were to take away the the two weeks that he struggled when he came back from a handmade surgery in the middle of the 2018 season, he came back real fast. Um, you'd be probably looking at an OPS closer to 900 in his career. And last year he was in a really difficult double-A environment in the Southern League its never an easy place to hit and posted an OPS of 900, the highest in the Southern League, it's just kind of, it was just a combination of like, look, this is a a really good athlete, he's performed, he's performed at high levels, he plays a premium position, and then you look at the fact that they ran him out in center field a little bit at the end of the year, Um, he played pretty much primarily there in the postseason uh, in double-A. And there's, you know, some talk of, you know, if need be, could this guy play second base? Like, it just feels like there's a lot of different ways that this guy can impact the team. Um, and, and, uh, and and you know, one of those guys that you would, I, I would be surprised, kind of the way that you looked up and you saw, you know, what, six, seven years ago, you'd look up and Ben Zobris would have like a six or eight war season. You'd be kind of like, how, how did he do that? And you kind of dig a little deeper and you understand, like, Varsho kind of seems like that kind of, that kind of potential um under him i mean it, it was it was difficult uh, still uh kind of coming up with with how you're gonna order the next ones um with perdomo i think it was a lot of the same things uh in that it's a premium defender or, or you know a, a defender at a premium position uh pretty much no questions about whether he's going to be able to play shortstop and then a guy that you know, walks as much as he strikes out, uh, carries OPSs or sorry OBP's in the 400 range. Um, started to show uh, a little bit more ability to drive the ball as the season went on, particularly in the fall league. Started hearing from from scouts that saw him that were like, "I didn't know that was in there." Uh, you know, they they kind of start to dream on on a guy developing you know double digit home run type power based on on looks that they get off of him. Um, and it starts to kind of add up that this is a guy who's pretty advanced, you know, and, and, and has all those other things. Um, that's kind of why I, I've had him there. But I mean, I will say like, when, like I said, when you start, when you start looking at the tools for Christian Robinson, it, it gives you some, some second thoughts. But I just, I, I think I just kept reminding myself that we've seen so many tools, outfielders, uh, over the years, um, that can kind of, you know, do some real damage against the lower levels and then hit speed bumps when they get to the you know, to the, the middle of the minor league ladder. And Robinson hasn't got there yet and we just haven't seen it yet. Um so I, I'm not certainly not saying that, that he couldn't be a I, I wouldn't be surprised if we're looking at a, a top ten prospect in the game this time of year from now. Um but he just hasn't done it yet. And that, that was kind of the same thing that, that held me back with uh with being too aggressive with uh, Corbin Carroll.
0: Yeah, I, I want to go back to Varsho. I actually really like that Ben Zobras comparison he dropped. To me, it feels like this is someone who is being underrated. Again, you mentioned it. He played at Double A Jackson, which is one of the most pitcher-friendly environments in the Southern League, led the Southern League at OPS while going nearly 20-20 as a catcher, and then oh by the way, bouncing out to center field left-handed hitter, all the intangibles are there, Dow is a big leaguer. There's all these boxes being checked, and yet he just doesn't seem to get the love that a lot of other prospects get. I think part of it is not this big physical monster people see on the field and go, wow. But more often than not, he's the best player on the field. And to me, I think that says a lot when you watch the game and say, hey, this guy's doing everything you could ask him to do, and he's doing it better than almost anyone on the field that counts for some. I
2: didn't, I didn't mention the speed when I was breaking him down, but you're right. That's, that's a huge aspect. And I guess the one thing that, that he doesn't do that you would probably have an easier time, uh, getting really excited about him is he doesn't throw. I think it's a below average arm. He does have quick release, accurate arm. It seems like he's able to kind of offset the lack of arm strength with, with good footwork, good exchange, good throwing accuracy. Uh, but you know, that's a thing that traditionally when you're grading out catchers, um, when scouts are evaluating them, the arm strength is a, is a big factor. Um, and that is the one thing that he doesn't have. Perhaps that, you know, if, if he, if his arm had, you know, two more grades to it, uh, people would be, would be talking about him a little bit differently, but even still, I, I, I mean, I guess the other thing is too, it's, it's not, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a small kind of, uh, and I don't, I don't want to say like a pudgy body or anything, but it's not, he's not like chiseled. He doesn't have that physique. Um, Maybe that's another reason why people people don't get as excited. But like like you said, I mean the performance, uh, the athleticism, uh, the position. I, I, to me, it's it's just it, it kind of you kind of have to come back to that uh, when you're when
0: you're ranking them. No question about it. And as we mentioned, Perdomo really opened some eyes toward the end of the year. I got to see him in Visalia at the end of the year, and I remember just talking to their coaching staff. And you know, at the time, a lot of people were talking about Alec Thomas, and they kept saying, "Look, Thomas is really good." Perdomo's the guy and it really was coming out uh, for everyone to see in the fall league. And, you know, as you mentioned with Robinson, this is, this is such a, a potential monster, but as you said, there's something to be said for showing what you can do against better pitching. Did want to dive in on that a little bit. How much faith is there that he will be able to connect against better pitching? He finished last year at low class A King County. What's the confidence level evaluators have that he will hit enough against better full season pitching?
2: Well, I mean, you you start to to break down some of the uh, some of the the pitch data and swing data information on him, and, and it does give you a little bit more hope. He he really doesn't chase that much. Uh, he doesn't swing and miss uh, a ton on um, on pitches in the zone. Um, it it sort of seems like he's he's already starting to do a lot of things that that he needs to do. Um, he didn't look great, uh, and I've and I heard that from a handful of people when he, when he did reach the Midwest League late last season. Um, and and those are, I don't know, I mean, we I, I, th- I think we're all probably guilty of just putting a little bit too much, uh, you know, the recency bias type of thing, putting a little bit too much stock in, in, you know, small sample sizes, but at higher levels, and it just gives you a little bit of pause. Um, I mean, I, I think that it's sort of similar with Alec Thomas. Like, this was a guy that that – the Midwest League and got promoted to the Cal League and didn't play that well for, didn't hit that well for 30 for something games. Um, had he just stayed in the Midwest League and finished his year with, with those numbers, uh, would, would I have been more inclined to, to put him even higher on the list? Maybe. Um, I, I mean, I think if you would have asked me at some point in July who's the number one prospect in the system, I think Varsho had a, a really strong finish and wound up leading the, the Southern League in. in like like we talked about in OPS and that and and coupled with with Thomas falling off a little bit you know that's that sort of stuff it's it's hard not to be influenced uh, by that to some degree um so I I I don't know I guess you know going back to what you're saying about Robinson I, I I think a lot of people are really excited I think a lot of people believe that it's going to come together uh I I think so too that people are also trying to be cautiously optimistic because it's a guy that's you know, comes from the Bahamas, doesn't come from a place where he's faced a ton of high-level competition, you know, starting at, you know, age 12. Um, you know, it's, it's a lot of stuff that's new for him, and I think people are kind of building in a little bit of a buffer there and kind of building in, you know, some uh, – j- just just trying to keep people's expectations in line. But, look, it, it could come fast, but it also might take a little while. So we'll just gonna have to wait and see.
0: He was 18 all of last year. Uh, as you mentioned, had that 25-game stint in the Midwest League as a very very young player, I do think this year will be, you know, more indicative. Okay, this is where he's at because you're right. He hasn't faced a all the high-level competition and in some ways, I believe this off-season will be really, really key for him. Alec Thomas and Corbin Carroll, at number 4 and 5, have some similarities. They're both smaller center fielders, very very interesting field to hit that you can project on. How did you stack these two up and what were the overall evaluations of these two, especially Carroll after kind of a Gangbusters debut? Yeah,
2: um really really similar i mean it it felt like every time you started breaking down both guys tools uh they were really right in line with each other i I think i just sort of erred on the side of being conservative when it comes to corbin carroll just because he hasn't done it yet but i could see myself moving um you know both the hit and the power uh grades up uh based on performance uh this year and um you know i've i mentioned this i think uh uh, during during the chat uh, I, I had a chance to watch him um, take batting practice after he signed at chase field uh and it was pretty impressive i don't think i've seen a uh high school drafty look uh like he belongs in the big league hitting group as much as corbin Carroll did uh, that day um I, I will say you know like he, he did have the benefit of, of hitting the big league pulse last year right i mean so does maybe travel a little bit more than, than balls would have in the past, but this guy was hitting balls out over the, the uh, overhang just to the, to the right of center field. He's hitting balls over the pool area I and mean, he was blasting balls out. Um, and, you know, it is a bit of an undersized guy, uh, but there's clearly raw power there. And that's not even the thing that people talk the most about with him. They talk about just watching him play and the, and the feel he has for the game, just the, you know, the, the, the maturity he has on the bases, the, the the maturity he has in his approach at the plate, um, just a, a, a guy that knows how to play the game, um, and you know, just for for his age too, it's just it's just that much more impressive. Um, so I, I think they're really similar players. Uh, I I think uh, I, I I'm I'm really curious to see how the, the two of them uh, develop over the, over the years and how they kind of separate themselves. Uh, But, you know, if you're looking at him right now, it's hard to, for me at least, it's hard to really, like, uh, be too aggressive in putting one over the other.
0: And there is something to be said for the fact Thomas has done what Carroll hopes to do this year already. Went up, hit very, very well in the Midwest League, got to high Class A in his first full season. As a 19-year-old, but Carroll's very talented. I know a lot of people felt the Diamondbacks got a steal getting him at the 16th overall pick. For a lot of the lead-up to the draft, a lot of people I talked to considered him a top-10 type talent. I know the Diamondbacks were very, very happy and a little bit surprised to get him at 16. So uh, there's definitely a chance that when we look back a couple years from now... They're going to have come away with with a steal. The top five players on this list, I think, were the five names that were fairly consensus. Some people might have had different order, but it seemed like these were the top five that you expected to be the top five when the list came out. Number six, Blake Walston, was a little bit of a surprise and very interesting, his progression after signing. The Diamondbacks took him with one of their seven first-day picks last year, 26th overall out of a high school in Wilmington, North Carolina. It was higher than a lot of people had Walston. He himself was surprised that he got drafted that high. And immediately in his first pro summer, he went out, showed better stuff than was expected, added some strength, and all of a sudden finds himself number six in a very, very good system. What were some of the things you were hearing about Walston, and what gave you the confidence after speaking with evaluators to run him up the list this high? Uh,
2: yeah, I mean, you, you kind of touched on it. Just the the fact that the stuff seems to quickly improve. I mean, I, I think that Um, you know that these guys believed that it was that it was in there I think they were really pleasantly surprised to see it come out that quickly you know I I think they maybe thought that he would start to show some of the things that he showed um, last summer maybe this year Uh, but instead he he comes right out of the draft and and I I think he put on 25 pounds or so I I think he's still looking to add a little bit more weight Um, but you know this is a guy that could be a you know, big left-handed workhorse, um, and you know, who could have a fastball that sits in the in the you know low to mid nineties and touches more than that. Uh, a guy with a with potentially a wipeout breaking ball, um, and it, it's it's kind of more of a slurvy pitch at the moment, but they, they describe it more slidery than than curveball. Um, and a guy who you know could potentially you know separate those two pitches with a, with a, a curveball and a slider has a changeup as well. Um, I mean, there's just, there's a lot to like and it's just, you, you just start, I don't know, you, you talk to, to enough people um, and you talk to enough people long enough about players and you just kind of start to read how they really feel about guys. And uh, the the excitement level with this pitcher is, is as high as I've as I've heard from this group of, of uh, D-backs. You know, uh, officials and and uh, and coaches in the system um, for a long time for for a pitcher. Um,
0: they they just seem to think that this guy uh, has you know really like number two, number one, number two starter type potential. The rest of this list included Leover Piguero and Brendan Malone, the two prospects traded for Starling Marte. Um, you also had Corbin Martin and Luis Frias, two pitchers who are. Risky for different reasons. Martin, uh, coming off Tommy John surgery, he was acquired in the deal that sent Zach Granke to the Astros. Frias has big stuff, but he's also a 21-year-old who has only been in low A. What elevated these guys into the top 10 over some other guys like maybe a Seth Beer or a John Duplantier or J.B. Pukowskis, who are kind of big names who have done it at higher levels? Or a guy like a Levi Kelly, who is a really promising right-hander who just had a really good year uh, and is healthy. What kept these two—the two that rounded out the top ten—over those guys?
2: Um, I think probably just a few more warts on some of the other guys. Uh, Levi Kelly was a, was harder to, to drop down, but you just you hear more and more people that are, are pretty convinced it's it's a reliever in the long run. I'm I'm I, that was hard for me to do because I've I've found myself. Uh, reluctant to bet too much on that sort of stuff. I, I, I guess I've just seen enough You know, people look at Chris Sale's delivery or Max Scherzer's delivery and say, oh, that's that's not going to work as a starter, and then you look up and they win Cy Young. So I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit hesitant to, to do that, but I, I did end up kind of buying into it in that there's maybe not a, a well-developed third pitch as well, um, and just the question of whether it's going to be able to hold up over a full season, we haven't we haven't seen him, you know, log 175, 180, 200 innings before. Um, with Duplantier, it's just the stuff is just it's so inconsistent. Uh, uh, he didn't look like a, like anything close to a, a even a mid rotation starter for for stretches at the big league level last year in his defense uh he was you know kind of jerked around going between the rotation and the bullpen and uh he never really got built up and stretched out the way that you'd like to see um some of that is is on him i don't think he performed very well at times including in in reno uh but you know a lot of it is on the fact that there is need at the big league level and and they were going to him uh at multiple times um he he did suffer another injury, uh, and uh, you know, with, with his history, that's that's, that's scary. Um, I think you also mentioned uh, Seth Beer, and it's it's just there's a lot of pressure on the bat, and a lot of evaluators who uh, I spoke to uh, are are not convinced that it's it's an elite elite type of bat. That it's more of a an above average bat, and if it's going to be a DH only or a, a well below average defender um you know just how valuable is that um we'll have to see the the performance in the minor leagues so far has, has been tremendous um so uh you know there's there's always that to, to fall back on but um you know he's gonna have to keep doing it he's gonna have to keep doing it at a really really high level because people don't think it's you know that a corner outfield is is an option there's people that that don't know that first base is even an option um and if it's more of a you know i'm 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 trying to think of some of the names that people were dropping as a you know like an alan craig type of hitter uh obviously you know very different profiles i'm just kind of talking about the the overall production um you know an overall type of first base production like that isn't super valuable uh not that he's you know alan Craig at at his peak was a, a bad player but it's not a guy you get super excited about and that runs up prospect lists uh when you're a first baseman um and the other guys i think there's just more belief in the system with Luis Frias that this is a guy that can that can stick as a starting pitcher uh he's got the wipeout breaking ball um he's got you know stuff that's that's uh he's able to hold deep into games um He's a, a real physical guy that you can con- you can kind of envision, you know, turning into that, that you know, that, that big mid-rotation type of guy that's going to eat you a lot of innings. Um, and with that breaking ball, uh, it, it, there's some swing and miss potential and obviously a fastball that, that you know, reaches the mid-upper 90s. Not as familiar with Corbin Martin, of course, uh, you know, because he was acquired – Uh, from a different organization. Um, And I I, I don't know his his progression as well um, up the ladder. Uh, But, I mean, it was a guy that, uh, you know, I I know the Diamondbacks were talking about Corbin Martin when they were discussing Goldschmidt with the Astros. And at that time, they were told no. Um, And, uh, you know, when the injury occurred, I I think that that changed the thinking for the Astros and, and kind of made him available all of a sudden. And the Diamondbacks kind of pounced on it. I, I think they, they see a guy, you know, like like we talked about earlier, um, a guy who, who's like Luke Weaver and that he's already reached the majors. There's still a huge ceiling there. They they think that this is a guy that could be a mid-rotation starter or better. Um, you know, a, a legitimate four-pitch mix, um, pretty good strike thrower, um, you know, good velocity, good athlete. Uh, so, yeah, there's there's a lot to like there, and he's, and he's performed at, at just about every level struggled a little bit during his time in majors it was very very abbreviated obviously um but uh but yeah i mean and and you, you you did hit on it that there is some risk there there's always some risk when when a guy's coming back from surgery um we'll just have to see how he develops uh, the other the other arm in that deal Bukaskas um i i guess i just got too many people that were convinced it was a reliever even if it's dominant stuff um it's it's hard to run a reliever too high up the list and, I mean, obviously the performance was, was really, really bad last year, and he finished the year with, with an elbow issue. So kind of all of those things were, were uh, red flags for me.
0: The guy I want to dive in on a little bit is Seth Beer. And the reason is because a lot of the things that scouts are saying about him, you know, bad athlete, he's got a lot of power, I don't know how good of a hitter he is, it's first base only, how much value you're going to get are the exact same things scouts were saying at this time last year about Pete Alonso, and Jordan Alvarez. And at the end of the day, if you can thump, you can thump. And if you can thump, you're going to be in the middle of a big league order providing more value than a lot of the other up-the-middle toolsy guys who can't hit like you can. One of the things that stood out to me about Beer, I saw him after he was drafted in 2018 at Bowie's Creek, and it was a thick lower half. I understood the concerns and whether or not this was going to develop into someone who can really hit at the major league level and have the twitch needed to do it. I saw him this year in the Fall League. He had slimmed down a lot. He was in much better shape, and we saw the performance. He got to double-A this year and hit well. In the Fall League, he was very, very impressive. This is an interesting guy. Do you feel like there's a chance evaluators are too light on him because they're focusing on the profile and not the talent? Because we have seen that a lot in the past with these first-base DH-only types.
2: I, I think i think that was exactly what i was going to say as you were as you were getting to it uh is that i think that it's just always easier for these evaluators to play the percentages on these things i mean that's kind of what they're paid to do right and uh most of the time if, if they if they you know have some of the attributes that beer has it's not always it's it's most of the time not going to come together in an elite fashion right uh so i, I think that's probably what they're doing here. Um, yeah, it's just like I, I think that the the biggest thing that I kept hearing was was just how real is the power. Is it just a little bit above average, or is it truly plus? Like I, I was going back and reading some some reports uh, you know describing it as easy double plus or you know easy plus, uh, you know, and 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 I just didn't hear that, and I I I didn't get enough uh, people corroborating that belief that you know, there's, there's like a, a 35 home run bat or a 35 home run season in, in there at any time. Um, look, people have been wrong on guys all the time. they look, I, I, I kind of, I was wondering if you were going to say people were saying the same things 10 years ago about Paul Goldschmidt because they were, um, and, uh, and, and that, you know, that, that alone, that experience alone is, has taught me to, to be a little bit, um, wary of, of the evaluators particularly when you when you're looking at a guy that's, that's performed every step of the way so I don't know we'll see I I, uh, I think my biggest concern is, is probably the, the position um, and the, the value he'll be able to bring on that side of the ball um, you mentioned that Alonzo improved uh, Goldschmidt was was not the smoothest looking and, uh, and and raised a lot of questions in people's eyes a decade ago when they saw him in uh, in Visalia uh, and went on to win gold gloves. So uh, there's obviously the potential for guys to improve. Um, and while Seth Beer doesn't look like a great athlete, we should keep in mind this was a guy who was on an Olympic uh, path as a swimmer um, before giving it up, I think, at age 12 or 13. Um, so there is some athleticism, obviously, in there. Uh, whether he can uh, you know, use it uh, to get himself... You know, up to a, a better level defensively remains to be seen.
0: Yeah, I think this is going to be one of the more interesting guys to watch in the system this year, and we'll see if he can uh, start tapping into even more power. He hit 24 home runs last year, and when you compare him to some of the guys we talked about, you know, Goldschmidt, his two years in the minors, he hit 35 and 30. Alonzo hit 36, tying for the minor league lead in homers. We'll see how much power is in there, but I do think that Seth Beer is one of the more interesting guys in this system. Nick, just to wrap up, this is a very deep system. That's what really stands out and partially what makes this system now definitely one of the top half in baseball. You'll be able to see exactly where they rank once we release our organization talent rankings here in the coming weeks. How difficult was it to kind of sort out all the guys for who's going to be at the back of this list? Because it seems like we had 30 spots, and sometimes you do this list, even for the Diamondbacks, and it's a stretch to even find 25 worthy guys, let alone 30. It feels like this year you had a lot more to work with, 40, 50 names even.
2: Right. No, I I agree. Uh, I I think that's absolutely the case. I mean, I I think this was my third year doing it. Uh, The first year I did it, there was a lot of relief types, um, like no-doubt relievers on on the list um showing up all over um this year you know Bukaskis is the only guy that that uh, I, I think actually I had Bukaskis and Kevin Ginkle on the list and look there's there's pitchers on the you know near the back end or really I guess I guess even in the middle um where there's probably some reliever risk even Duplantier in some people's minds um but uh but really there are only a couple of guys that that the overwhelming consensus is that we're going to be relievers this time. Uh, and yeah, I mean, you, you kind of start looking at the guys that, that you left off and, and there's some really interesting players that I think that were the system, not as deep or, or were I doing it today? Uh, you know, following the trades of, of and, and Malone, um, guys that would suddenly show up on the list. I, I, think I left, uh, I think Josmer Alvarez did not crack the top 30. um, that's a that's a really interesting young pitcher uh there's an outfielder named uh jefferson espinal um uh, a a, another young international guy diomed sierra a left-hand pitcher um alvin guzman was their their big dollar guy a couple years ago um their their big dollar international guy from last year friend Fernio Baez didn't make the list, so uh, I I don't know. There's there's just a lot of players that I, there's also a lot of players that I think are gonna be big leaguers in some fashion. Um, you know, like a, a Matt Peacock or Emilio Vargas or Jake McCarthy or Tyler Holton who didn't make the list. So yeah, it it, it was difficult. Um, I I guess that's a problem you'd, you'd rather have than the alternative. Um, I I think we're all. I don't know. I I think I think if if you're if you're optimistic about players um, and and try to try to look on the bright side, and you 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 find yourself saying every year that like oh man yeah this is a more interesting list than than it was because a year ago you can now look back, or a year later I mean you can now look back and and see the list in a, a much different light. So you're always always I think going to be a little bit more optimistic in the present, but I do think it's probably more true now than it has been in the past. It's just. It's a much more interesting system. It's a much deeper system. There's a lot more upside in this system.
0: So the big question is, given the young talent they have in the major leagues, given the newfound depth of this system, what's the ETA, the realistic ETA for this team to start potentially contending with the Dodgers? Also, the Dodgers won seven straight division titles. They have a tremendous form system. They also have an incredible base of young talent in the major leagues. Really, how likely is it that the Diamondbacks can potentially start running them down and, and competing with them at the top of the division? And when do you think that would be, given all the pieces they have in place right now?
2: I don't. I don't think anybody can can reasonably uh, put any kind of date on that. Uh, I I just think like I am not saying it it wouldn't change in a couple of years, but I think as far out as you can possibly you know, anticipate that sort of thing is, is probably three years. Uh, what I mean is the, the farthest out you can anticipate how a roster is going to look and contend within division is three years, regardless of what teams we're talking about. And if you go three years out right now, I don't think anybody would ever would, would say that takes the, the Diamondbacks over the Dodgers. So look, in a few years, maybe that changes. Uh, but, you know, like you said, they have a lot of really good young talent uh, at the big league level. They still have a really good farm system. They have uh, seemingly very good processes in place. They uh, have the capability for an enormous payroll, uh, which allows them to not only you know keep the players that they develop, uh, but also go out and, and they haven't really done this yet, but uh, go out and add a superstar if they wanted. Um, so it's just, I, I don't think that I can reasonably say there's any, on the horizon that that could happen. I'm not saying it never will. I'm just I I wouldn't be comfortable predicting
0: it. I think that's definitely the right way to go. Um, but the Diamondbacks again, they've put themselves in a good position and. We'll see what they can do. Uh, they've loaded up, as we mentioned, adding Madison Bumgarner, adding Starling Marte, adding Cole Calhoun, and especially in the case of Marte, adding an impact everyday center fielder without significantly altering the outlook for the future in terms of trading away top, top guys. They traded good players, and they have many more to fill those spots, which is a testament to the system they've built. And now we'll see how uh, it all translates to the major leagues. Nick, thank you so much for joining us today. We appreciate your insight as always. Hey, my pleasure, Kyle. See you next time. All right, everyone. That'll do it for this edition of the Baseball America podcast. Go ahead and give us a review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitch, or whatever platform you're listening on. We'd love to hear from you. For Nick Picoro, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening, everybody.
1: After the end of a good fight,